The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. But first, this morning, it's Professor Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, lots of things to talk about and the possibility uh, that we would have a flu and COVID-19 combination jab um, when? Yeah, no, Novavax, that company, Pat, who are, again, remember, are up there with the best of them, really, are waiting for Novavax's uh, COVID vaccine to be approved. But they've put the flu in combination with COVID-19 now in, in, in a single shot, and they've got great what's called preclinical data, so they're testing it on animals initially, obviously, we have to go, go to animals first. And they got a tremendous response to the flu and COVID-19 in the one shot. And, of course, what they're saying is the future could well be flu-COVID-19 combinations. And it's, it's a good development, because you might imagine, uh, maybe not this winter, but certainly the one after there may be a COVID-19 flu uh, combination. And the reason being why it's so attractive is that it's hard enough sometimes to get people to get one jab and trying to persuade them to get two. Exactly, yeah. And in fact, the Novavax flu vaccine is one of the best flu vaccines out there anyway. People don't realise every winter, those flu vaccines are about 40-50% efficacy, you know, and we use them and and they're very effective, obviously, that's considered effective anyway. But now, of course, they're getting a higher rate of uh, effectiveness with the flu, their their version of the flu anyway. And they put two different variants of flu into the vaccine and then one COVID-19 variant. So in the one shot, then effectively, you have three three separate viruses, I guess. And they got a big response to what's called haemagglutin, and that's the part of the flu that you want to neutralise. And of course, with the uh, COVID, it's the spike, and they got massive antibody response to both of those within two weeks. Actually, in the animals, they got a huge increase in antibodies. So they're saying basically their technology could could really win in the long run. Anyway, even against COVID, we're waiting for their vaccine to be approved in Europe, and, and the EMA is looking at their their COVID nineteen vaccine anyway. You know, so now they're they're already thinking like down down the line where there could be combination vaccines. So although uh, Pfizer would appear to have stolen a march on uh, everybody, I mean, the EU is putting its eggs in the Pfizer basket going forward to 2023. um, Novavax are thinking, you know, the future is flu plus COVID. And, um, you know, we may have lost the first battle but we're going to win the long war. Exactly, and even more impressively, they, they got antibodies to what are called cryptic sites in the spike protein, and these are hidden sites, as it were, that are shared by all the variants. So you can imagine what their press release is saying, that they'll have the best vaccine around, it'll work against flu and, and COVID and any variant. You can imagine, but if that comes true, they'll dominate the market, won't they? So I think Novavax are a very interesting company, by the way. They just work on vaccines. They've got great technologies. You see that they could become the world's premier vaccine company in the end, if it all works out for them. Now, remember, this is preclinical, so we've got to wait to yeah. see in humans and so on. But certainly it's, it's caused a stir, uh, their, 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 their release of this information. The kind of vaccine it is, I mean, is it more like AstraZeneca and J&J than Moderna or Pfizer in terms of how it's developed? No, it's a different one. It's the it's actual spike protein itself. So, so with Moderna and Pfizer, what you're injecting into someone is the recipe to make the spike. Same with AstraZeneca. It's the DNA recipe for AstraZeneca. It's the RNA with the other ones. This is the actual protein itself. And of course, that might bring advantages because you can put loads of spike in then, you know, and then that provokes a, a huge, big response. And the same with the flu components. It's the proteins from the flu that are being used. They went for a technology they really believed in, basically, you see, and said, look, this mm-hmm. could work great. And now everything they've reported so far suggests that it could be a highly efficacious vaccine.
Now, in terms of those who uh, suffer from uh, COVID, who contract it, um, more therapies uh, all the time. Baricitinib, yeah. uh, what is it and um, what's the result? So, so that's a drug that was developed for arthritis, of all things, initially. And it's an anti-inflammatory and it suppresses the inflammatory process in your joints when you've got arthritis. And of course, as we know, COVID is an inflammatory disease. So they wondered, would it work in inflammation in COVID? And now a big trial had got great data. And it's, it's an orally active drug. You take it as a tablet. It blocks a thing called Jack. Now, Jack is a key on switch for the inflammatory process. Two, I did a trial with two doses, a high dose and a low dose. And the high dose decreased mortality by 50%. Now, you can imagine, Pat, that that's a great achievement to have mm. the death rate, you see. And then they had the two doses and the higher dose beat the lower dose. It's always good to see a, what we call a dose response in these trials. So again, that's an example of an anti-inflammatory now moving through the trials process, you see. And now they keep reporting date as they go along. And it was really good. The, the patients on that drug had what was called severe pneumonia. So they were heading towards a very difficult outcome, you know. And then, of course, they had the two doses on the control and they got this 50% decrease in, in mortality. The ICU admissions was 4% on the high dose, 17% on the lower dose. That's a fourfold protection from ending up in the ICU, you see. So, so again, that, that's a drug now that could, could really be taken up by everybody and be used like dexamethasone. It's even morbid than dexamethasone, which is the other anti-inflammatory that we have. So, so that paper now has caused a big sort of headline that baricitinib, could be, again, could become standard of care. And the good news is these are quite cheap drugs. I mean, they're, they're small chemicals that you can just take as a tablet, you know. So again, there's this optimism that might become a standard in hospital. Mm-hmm. And as soon as someone develops pneumonia, you give them baricitinib and, and you could decrease the death rate by half, you see, which would be tremendous, you know. Um, it must be very difficult to conduct these trials because, um, you know, the, you might think you have to do other things as well and therefore to isolate the effect of one drug versus all the other things you might be doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, yes. for, for example, remember we talked about uh, lying people on their tummies uh, having a therapeutic yeah. effect. And, you know, to, to subtract out of all of the interventions that doctors made, uh, the, the single thing of baricitinib or whatever other drug you were testing, it must be a very sophisticated process and a very difficult ethical process as well. It is difficult, yeah. And what you do is you add it to what's called standard of care. So you've got, you, you can't obviously not, not treat people with the current therapies, can you? Because that puts them at risk. So it's an add-on to the current therapies and then you try to measure a difference. And that's why the statistics become very important. So baricitinib would have been added to proning and dexamethasone, you know, and then you're looking for an added benefit then. You're trying to control it. But you're right. They're complicated things now because there could be four or five things you're, you're treating patients with at the moment anyway. And this is an add-on to that. And then, of course, the ethical thing is because once you see that it's having a big effect, you can't deny people the drug then, you know, because it's, it's unethical. Like if you know the high dose works better than the lower dose, then you've got to start giving everybody the high dose because that's an unethical thing not to do, you know. So you're quite right. They're complicated things, these trials. And, and remember, they've got to be double-blind, placebo-controlled. All the key, you know, uh, standards have to be adhered to. Otherwise, you might get a false effect you see but, but, but the big drug companies are great at this because they know exactly how to do it you know they know exactly how to design them and, and make sure everything's controlled Now we've heard a lot about uh, clotting and uh, you know the very very rare side effect of some of the vaccines uh, what about allergic reactions to uh, vaccines what news do we have? Yeah that came up early remember quite, it, was, it was bad luck in a way early on with Pfizer there were a few allergic reactions reported and then one or two other uh, vaccines had a similar thing you know but now the FDA in the US and the CDC have now released the big de- now you can imagine Pat you know 1.3 billion people have now been vaccinated in the world isn't that 
incredible number with at least one shot, you know. And hundreds of millions of Americans have now been, well, not quite, I think it's about 100 million at the moment, have been vaccinated. And now they know all the data. Can you imagine the, the number crunching? And the good news is allergy is extremely rare. So it's 2.5 per million uh, for Moderna and 11.1 per million for Pfizer, which is a tiny number of people getting an allergic reaction. So, so the fear of that allergic response now has, has really dissipated because the numbers are so tiny, tiny numbers of people having an allergic response. And that reassures people because obviously the big worry would be lots of us are allergic to things, you know, and you'd worry that might predispose you to being allergic to the vaccine. But that's not the case. It's just an extremely rare event, which, which should be reassuring to people. Uh, okay, and uh, the uh, advice is to stick around anyway. Yeah. Your allergic reaction will happen very quickly, will it not, if you're going to have it. So it you will. stick around yeah. and you'll get treatment then on the spot uh, from the vaccination centre. Yeah. Um, now, delayed antibody production correlates with death. Now, this is a tricky one because they still have antibodies yeah. at the time of their departure. So... Yeah. Uh, what, what does this mean? Well, you wouldn't believe, I mean, you can imagine at the moment all over the world, every immunology lab is working on COVID-19 almost, you know, including my own, by the way, you know, and lots of data keeps coming out. Every week, I'm not joking, there's like 20 or 30 interesting publications about what these labs are discovering. And this is a great study. So they measured antibodies in people from, from, from when symptoms begin all through the disease process, a huge, a good, good number of people, you know, and try to correlate immune changes with, say, severity or getting better or whatever it might be. And they noticed two things. They noticed that if you make antibodies too late, you're in trouble. So if your immune system doesn't kick off relatively quickly, then you might have a severe disease. And sadly, it, it was linked to death. So, so the ones who were dying weren't making antibodies quickly enough was the first problem. Now, eventually, they made loads of antibodies, you see, as, as they progressed the disease. But for some reason, the antibodies didn't work. So it's a strange one, you know. So it's, a, it, it's complicated in a way because everybody makes antibodies. You make loads even if you're very sick, but sometimes those antibodies don't work. And then secondly, you're not making them quickly enough. So it's almost if, as if the virus begins to get a foothold and begins to grow in your body because you're not making sufficient antibodies. Then eventually the immune system kicks in, begins to make antibodies, but it's too late. You know, you've, you've kind of passed the threshold. And then sadly, that correlates then with death. And, and it's a very elaborate, you can imagine, Pat, the metadata in that paper is huge in measuring all these antibodies over time and so on. So, so it tells us something important about the immune system in a way. Now, why people can't make antibodies quickly is the next question, you know. And then secondly, why are the antibodies failing when they make them is the other question here. And now more, because as ever, we need more research into that. But it gives us a huge insight into, into the immune response to the virus. And now the, the Indian variant, so-called B16172, and uh, the British have said they're a bit concerned about it. Uh, do you know anything about it? And is yeah. it very different? It's more transmissible for definite pellets. It's a bit like, you know, the B117, the, all the other variants, they all became much more transmissible. They don't know how much more transmissible. It may be worse, though. That's, that's one concern they have. It may be even more transmissible than the other ones. You know, the other ones are about 50% more transmissible, which is, which is a big increase. You know, this may be higher. That's the first concern. So it spreads more readily. There's no evidence yet it causes more severe disease, which is good. Uh, there's also some evidence, as, as we've discussed before, that the antibodies that you make to the old vaccine should limit severe disease. So again, it's one to watch. It's the, it is the latest variant to keep a very close eye on. And then the UK are worried because it's cropping up now in the UK. There was cases in Glasgow and in, in the north of England, for instance. They reckon that's inward travel, by the way, from India has caused that, you see. Mm. So again, they're watching it closely because we, we, don't, we know a certain amount about it, but it's, again, it's one to watch. And, and, and it's yeah. typical of what's going on in a sense. There will be more variants, remember, anyway. This is the latest one. 
Yeah, and that was why we were pushing, of course, the government to put India on the red list, the quarantine list. uh, But it took them ages to do it. It did. It's a lesson Uh, there, but for definite. Frustrating. Um, A number of people uh, asking questions about AstraZeneca. Delighted to get the AstraZeneca vaccine on Tuesday. I'm 59. I'm healthy and active. However, I felt sick, lethargic and feverish since. Now, that's only Tuesday and this is Thursday. Yeah. Um, missed two days of work. I'm wondering what has happened to my body from Janet. Yeah, well, as we discussed, right, this wouldn't be in any way unusual. Uh, there's a range of responses. Poor Janet is down on the more severe end, but that will resolve, you know. And the big thing to take is paracetamol. That's been shown now to actually relieve these symptoms, you know. It's the classic flu, cold type symptoms. Sadly, she's having a bit of a rough time. But, but again, she should be happy because that, that means her immune system is churning away there. Mm. You know, she's making antibodies. She's making all the immune models. Molecules which are given to the symptoms. Now, of course, as ever, Pat, if she feels anyway worried, contact her GP because it could be something else. Or so any 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 concerns, give her GP a ring just just to check. But up it's on not it. unusual not to least. feel a bit uh, feverish for a couple of days That's after right. um, AstraZeneca. Um, another question: What about AstraZeneca? All the research seems to be done on Moderna and Pfizer. Do we have any fundamental research on AstraZeneca? Well, there is. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge amount going into all the vaccines now. Like in the UK, specifically. Of course, the UK love AstraZeneca. Don't they? So I know the immunologists in Oxford. I had, I had a call with some of them last week, actually. They were showing a huge amount of data, again, on this antibody business, on the T-cell response, showing it's a remark. The, the sad thing is, Pat, that's a really effective vaccine. You know, there's no question Oxford got it right with that. Now, we know there's a couple of issues, but, but overall, 100% protection against severe disease, you see. So, no, there's a huge amount going on. Probably less. I mean, Pfizer are a bigger organisation. Uh, they're, they're more used to making vaccines. You see, strangely, AstraZeneca weren't famous for vaccine, so that's a ramp up a bit of expertise there. So Pfizer are, are kind of ahead of the game on the research overall, but still there's a huge amount happening with AstraZeneca as well. Hmm. Uh, I had my first AstraZeneca weeks ago, no bother at all. However, most people I know have had some reaction, uh, shivers and feeling gluey for a few hours. I'm now worried that I may have got a dud. Well, that's, that's right. Clodagh and Cork. I, I think the numbers at the moment are something like thirty percent or so have feel really rough. You know, they, they will have the, what Janet said earlier. You know, and then it goes after a day or two, and it's usually after the first shot. By the way, the second shot is less. You know, and some get it after the second shot, but but overall, the second shot is less. And then the rest of the people don't really notice it hardly. You know, so again, it's a range of responses. But I wouldn't worry because they've shown even if you've no ill effects, should we call it, they can still measure stuff in your body. Your immune system is still being turned on. So I wouldn't worry about that. Mm. Now, a number of people talking about, you know, registering for the vaccine. Uh, this one from Bernard. What are the chances of me getting J&J if I'm registering today? And also someone else asking you to anticipate what NIAC might decide sure. about J&J and AstraZeneca. They're definitely going to approve it for younger people, but they have to. There's no question. And that's, that's a fantastic thing to do, by the way, because let's get as much vaccine into people as possible. So they'll have to decrease the age to use up the supply. Otherwise, there's a risk of leaving vaccines on the shelf, which will be a scandal, as you know. I mean, at a minimum, give it to the developing world if you're not going to use it yourself kind of thing. You know, So I've no doubt they're going to approve that for the younger age. I just hope so. All the signs are they will, mind you, which yeah. is great. Yeah, it's a strange yeah. one. Sadly, at the moment, you have to take what you're, you're, you're being offered. You have no choice, you know. And it'll be on your, your, you'll get a little message on your phone saying, turn up at such and such a time. This is the vaccine you're getting and don't be asking for another one. You know, that may change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you never know if they've loads of supply and Johnson and Johnson is there and so on. You may have a choice, which, which might relieve people's worries a bit, you know. 
Yeah. Do you know, Luke, whether or not the second dose is exactly the same in terms of volume, quantity and content as the first dose? Yeah. So if is, you yeah. get Pfizer, you just get a, the same again. Same again. Yeah, when, exactly. when the time yeah. comes. OK, yeah. so so here's the, the, the question. A lot of people who got AstraZeneca are saying um, we're told we might have to wait 16 weeks for the second jab. Yeah. Um, but if you're on Pfizer, you wait four or five weeks uh, max for the second jab. And they feel that's a bit unfair, you know, because you'll have the Pfizer people off on their holliers. I know. Well, <laughs> and I the AstraZeneca that. people held. So uh, what's the case for saying uh, take a second dose of J&J or a second dose of Moderna if yep, you can get it that's right. uh, after three or four weeks? Yeah, there's pressure now on the likes of NIAC, not just in Ireland. And all, all the regulators are being asked this really, like, why can't we have a different vaccine second? And that may come and, and there are there are trials running where they're mixing and matching you see the trouble is the data we have is the the current protocol is laid out with the gaps in it you know they may extend the gap in Pfizer by the way that's the next thing they'll consider to go beyond the three week gap to make it longer just increase supply that'd be fine that'd be okay to do as well. I think it's probably the safest well one, one suggestion is remember that AstraZeneca after a single shot four weeks later you're considered that you can now have the vaccine dividend you know they may make yeah. that the case with all the vaccines in other words after a single shot after X number of weeks, it could be two or three weeks or four weeks, you're now able to behave as if you've been fully vaccinated. And I, I'd, I'd press for that. That'd be good, especially for travel, because you're especially yeah. the summer coming. If you've got to wait 16 weeks, that's, that's say the end of August, you know, the summer's gone. So you never know. They, they might move on this. We'll see what happens. Um, th- this one kind of crystallises that. Please ask uh, Professor Luke, if I get one shot of the Johnson, I'm considered fully vaccinated. Why after one shot of AstraZeneca, I'm not considered the same? Because AstraZeneca is most uh, efficacious, even after one shot, uh, compared to the Johnson single shot. Yep. So this is the point you're making. That's that the point. Yep. W- one jab gives you a lot of protection for a long time. Yep. Even if you end up, you know, after the end of the summer, maybe having the second jab yep. uh, to give you the boost for the winter. What I would lobby for is the EMA should say this, that a single shot of any of those vaccines is equivalent, given that Johnson & Johnson is a single shot. And there's no reason to discriminate then against the others, you know. So let's hope they might change, especially with the summer coming and and the holiday season. They may well say a single shot of any of them is equivalent. And after X number of weeks now, you can consider yourself to be fully vaccinated. But we've got to wait to see what they deliberate on that one. Stephen in Glasnevin says, I would put up with a week of side effects to regain my freedom. I can't wait for my vaccine. I'm 48. Do you know when I'm likely to be called? Um, well, I'll be talking to the Minister for Health, yeah. uh, Stephen Donnelly, after 10, and he'll obviously give us a roadmap uh, to that. But it will depend on what NIAC say about J&J and AstraZeneca and so on. Question um, from another News Talk listener. Can you ask, Luke, if alcohol impedes or slows down the vaccine doing its work? There's no evidence for it, but you would infer that because we know if you have a lot of alcohol, your immune system becomes impaired for definite. So, for yeah. example, if, you, if you've got high alcohol in your bloodstream, which would be the equivalent of, you know, you can't drive, say, that begins to kill off your immune cells, you see, because alcohol in the blood will damage the immune cells, you see. So, so the, the advice would be don't be taking too much alcohol before the vaccine if you want the vaccine to make, to make sure the vaccine works. So that's the advice. Yeah. Another question about when pharmacists might be uh, doing the vaccine, where we'll talk uh, to the Minister of Health about uh, all of that, because with, um, I suppose, with J&J and AstraZeneca, storage is not an issue. Um, So expect that they'll be doing that. All right, Luke, look, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. 
White's Art Auction is on view at the RDS this weekend. See stunning works by Jack Yates, Lillian Davidson, Paul Henry, Patrick Heron, Louis Lebrocki, Basil Blackshaw, Donald Teskey and many others. On view Saturday to Monday at the RDS and online at whites.ie. White's, where Irish art is truly valued.